Now, I'm just going to give you the front end statement here. I'm going to pull everything that I had to say way down. And uh, we are meeting on Wednesday nights at 6.15, where we're looking into this whole thing of the parables. I'll preach part of that on Sunday mornings, and then we look and try to uh, use it as a disciple-building time and how to hand some tools to you for your own personal Bible study. So especially this week, we'll do more in that session than we will in here. And that session will be Wednesday night just off of this door. Uh, We're a couple of portable buildings out there, and we'll meet over there this week instead of in the Family Life Center. So if you want to be part of that, please feel free to come. Craig Blonberg uh, tells a couple of stories as he begins to talk about this particular parable in one of his sermons. Uh, And I'm just going to pull one of those stories down today. But here's the essential point that I want you to get. As we look at the parable of the prodigal son together today, um, well, you know, I don't really want to be up here causing trouble, but I know that this is going to cause trouble. I don't like the way the subheading reads in our Bibles, okay? I said last week, I'll say it again today, the subheadings are not inspired. Some publisher somewhere said, I think that fits there. And in this particular case, my Bible presents a subheading here that says the parable of the prodigal son. And I think that's mislabeled. I don't think that it captures what we need it to get. But I'm going to use the word prodigal there because it's the one that we all know. If you go do a search online for the definition of prodigal, you will find that the way we talk about it in this parable really is not the best definition. Because we tend to use that word as if it refers to rebellion But actually, the term is a little more limited than that, and it talks about uh, spending out of control kind of thing. So while that's in here, that's not necessarily the emphasis of the parable. So it kind of causes me a little bit of an issue. Blumberg tells a story of a lady named Marla. Now, the story is true, but he changed her name to protect her a little bit. But her situation is relatively common, unfortunately. Marla was one of those girls who grew up in church. She grew up in uh, one of those mainline Protestant denomination churches. It was not Baptist. Uh, But she grew up and had this basic body of information about Jesus Christ and the Christian life. And even at one point at the proper time in that particular denominational way of doing things, she said, okay, I believe that, I take it as my own, and so she was considered to be a member of the church and a Christian at that point based on that confession. But Marla went on to marry her high school sweetheart, and not long after they got married, she discovered that her high school sweetheart, who now was her husband, um, would beat her, and he began to abuse her and So not too far into that marriage, she made the decision to step out of it, and she divorced him. Somewhere in the process of the recovery for that, one of Marla's friends asked her to go to church with her, and it was not uh, the same denomination she had grown up in, and as a matter of fact, it was technically a non-denominational church, but it was one who uh, they do things a little differently even than we do. And so the, the vast difference from what she had grown up in, which was very uh, restrained and very tight, uh, she went to this other church and it was very free and very loose. 
And in that context, after this divorce, she had a real encounter with Jesus Christ. And in the process of working through all of that, she got more involved in that particular church and they asked her to go, kind of like our kids are doing this week, uh, asked her to go on mission with them. And so she, she went on this mission trip and while she was gone, she just sensed that God was calling her into that as a way of life. And so she decided, I'm going to do that. There's no reason for me not to respond to what God's calling me to do. And so she began to petition different mission boards. And, okay, so how do I do this? I feel like God's saying, go do this with your life all the time. And what she ran into was a religious stone wall. And in not so many words... Various organizations said to her, oh, well, we would use you, but you've been divorced, and so we can't use you. And another one would say to her, uh, well, we would use you if you were married, but you're not married, and so we can't use you. And another one say, well, you know, um, really, um, we don't let women do that. Here's my premise for the sermon today. We find prodigals at some of the most unexpected places. And I'm not talking about the loose spending kind of prodigal son. I'm talking about the way we tend to use it relative to this. We, we find people who rebel against the kingdom way of living at some of the weirdest places. And some of those weird places where we find lots of prodigal people are in church. Luke chapter 15. I'm not going to read the whole parable, although I really feel like I should. Uh, yeah, I will. It's uh, Ministerially speaking, i still got 90 minutes. So, all right, let's do this. Luke chapter 15. It is a very familiar parable. Matter of fact, some people claim that this is the most famous of all of the parables that Jesus told. Here's what it says. And Jesus said to them, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he, that is his father, divided his property between them, that is his two sons. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Now let me stop the reading here for just a second and make a point or two very quickly. I started this series last week. We call the series Slanted, and it highlights that part of truth-telling that Emily Dickinson made famous in one of her poems and the way she did rhyme in the poems that she wrote or many of the ones that she wrote. And the idea is that when people can't handle the truth straight up, Jesus used the parable to kind of come around the side and surprise them with the truth. It, it's a nicer way of putting hard truth out there that some people just don't want to accept. 
And Jesus was a master at doing that. And these parables that he told, although he was not by far not the first one to use them, nobody used them the way Jesus did. And in each of these stories that he tells that we call parables, there's always a hook in it. The intent of Jesus is not to just give them an illustration so that they get the point. The intent of Jesus is to make a point with them. And often in these stories, there are things in it that are just a little bit out of normal. For instance, in what we just read in this one, those first century Jewish listeners would have heard him say that first statement. There was this youngest son of the family who went to his father and he said, I want my inheritance now. Those Jewish listeners would have freaked out about that. Nobody does that. Jesus, just as a part of how he did it, just reached out and grabbed them and sucked them right into the story. So we find those kind of elements as we work through these. And we have to look for them sometimes. But Jesus is telling kingdom truth here. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, that is now the son the one who got his inheritance early, who went to his dad and said, I wish you were dead. I want my stuff now. That same one, but when he came to himself, verse 17, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring uh, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. And now his older son, okay, let me just stop and tell you, this is prodigal son number two. And now his older son was in the field, and as he came and he drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older son, was angry. And refused to go in. We find prodigals in the most unexpected places. And his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Mm, That's a weird son right there. (laughs) Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not even my brother, see how prodigal he is? But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, by the way, there's no evidence in the story that that's true. We find prodigals in the most unexpected places. Has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, that is the father said to the son, Son, you are always with me, 
and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So here's the way I originally wanted to lay this out for you. The first half of the sermon was going to be, how do you avoid becoming prodigal? So let me just give you the truth in one fell swoop, okay? It's true of both of these boys. The key, the root to wandering away from God or running away from God, whichever you choose to do. The key to doing that is that you have to buy into the devil's biggest lie, and that is you're the only one that matters on this planet. Selfishness drives both of these prodigal sons. One of them says, I'll take my selfishness in heaping doses of material goods and pleasure. The other one says, I'll take my selfishness in heaping doses of accusation and alienation in relationships. And this planet on which we live is driven by selfishness. What moves somebody to walk into a church and say, I'll be God and nine people no longer live because I choose that way. And the answer to that is the same thing that drives you and me to get upset with other drivers while we're going down the road. I'm first. I'm more important. That is the nature of sin. It is that drive within each of us that says, I will be God. I'm the one that matters. Both of these boys are prodigal. So that's how you avoid it. You just recognize that for what it is and choose not to be that. Well, of course, that's a lot easier said than done, but now I'm about out of time, so I don't get to answer that. Now, let's keep going. Here's where I really want to spend a few minutes, and then I'll let you go. I'm going to do my best to get you out of here on time. We all have that prodigal self within us, that bent towards abandoning God. But we also all have those prodigal people in our lives. If we take the definition that we tend to talk about when we look at this, a prodigal as someone who refuses the life that God offers, who turns their back on grace and who walks away from that that God has placed there to help them get all that life can offer to them. That's Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10. I come to give you life that will blow your mind. People walk away from that all the time. The chances of more than one person being in this room today who have said, I'm walking away from that. I will do my own thing. God, like the father in this story, will let you do that. He'll let you do that. But you're not going to like what you get for it. I'm getting ahead of myself. So let me show you here very quickly. There's three elements here that I think help us as we deal with prodigal people. All right, here's the first one. I told the first service this morning. I don't say real smart stuff very often. So when I'm about to say something smart, I'm going to give you a heads up so you get it. All right? So heads up. I'm going to say something real smart here. It's going to be one of those head slappers. You go, well, duh. Yeah? Okay, here it is. The first thing you need to make sure you cover if you're going to help somebody who's prodigal is don't be prodigal yourself. If the reality is 
that that person in your life that you're concerned about because they're walking away or have walked away from God, if the reality is that they do that because they're selfish, you going selfishly to deal with them is not going to help the situation. That just gives you double-barreled dumb is what that does. So if you really want to help somebody, don't be selfish. Well, that's hard to do. Because we watch our loved ones, we watch kids wander, just sprint away from the way we train them up. And it kills us as parents. And so selfishly, we want to make it right. The problem is if we act selfishly, we do selfish stuff and they don't respond to that. You know where I get that out of this passage? The first statement Jesus makes is actually in verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. Now, I know some of you, I'd like to see what you do when your kids come to you and say, you know what, I wish you were dead, just give me my stuff now. That's what he did. Look what the father did. Jesus is the one putting this story together. He can put it together any way he wants. And he says, the father said, okay, here you go. Now, we don't know why the son wanted to do that. We don't know what was going on. Maybe he saw a great investment opportunity in pigs or something. I don't know. We don't know that and we don't need to know that. Jesus gives us the story and he shows us that the father acts very unselfishly in responding to his son. Now, that'll cause you, you're going to wish now that I had a little more time to develop that. That'll cause you to do some thinking. Okay, so with my kids, that, does that mean I give them everything they ask for? You better not. You better not. Matter of fact, sometimes you need to give them a lot more than they ask for, <clears throat> if you know what I mean. So don't be prodigal yourself if you really want to help that person. Here, here's one of the things I want us to get from this. As we work through these parables, Jesus is giving truth of the kingdom. I said last week he embodied truth. He not only embodied it, he, he so lived the truth of God that he could just look out and see evidence of the truth of God everywhere that he looked. That's why he used stories out of common life for them. And so he teaches characteristics of the kingdom of God and truths about the kingdom of God. And what we have here is the first one that we're going to look at of what characteristic of kingdom people looks like. And one of the characteristics of a kingdom person is that they don't live selfishly. Now I'm looking across here. The lights are a little bit bright, so I don't see you all that great. But most of you look like you did a little bit of time in front of the mirror today trying to get yourself ready. Some guy said he looked like I armor all my head this morning. <laughs> I, most of you ladies look like you put makeup on. The barn needs painting. I say paint it. That's all, it's all good. <laughs> now, you know, that's, I'm just, I said that in love, which means I love saying that, but... Um, no, so here's the deal, all right? Here's the deal. The reason I go into all of that is I want it to hang in your heads. It's hard for us not to be selfish. We spend a lot of time on me. Every one of us does. So it's hard for us not to be selfish, but that's a characteristic of kingdom people. 
It is a very unselfish way of living. Here's the second one I want you to get. This comes from here, but it also comes from a lot of experience that I've had dealing with people, mostly parents, who are dealing with prodigal children. Build bridges to them. Don't blow up bridges with them. You understand what I mean by that? Look at this father and how he responds to what's going on. Again, this is in verse 12. And the younger said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And his father divided his property. He could not have been happy about doing that. I just can't believe that he would have been happy about doing that. But he did that. And then later we find, and this will be part of the next point that I want to make, but later we find that that same dad who said, okay, here it is, and he lets his son cut his own throat. Now, that's a challenge for helicopter parents. He let his son cut his own throat and paid for it himself. And where it would have been... In my family, it would have been the thing to do to set that boy down and take a board and work him over with it. Or leave the board aside and just verbally work him over. The father doesn't do that. But we find the father late in the story when the son makes the move to come back there's a bridge for him to come on. If the father would have just gone off on him in the first place, that bridge would have been destroyed and he'd have been left hanging out there. You know how I know that to be true? Because my marriage is built on that example. Because when Teresa found out that I was in fact the prodigal son, she said to me, I love you and I want to be part of your life and I want you to be part of mine, but I can't live with what you're doing there. Now, being the exceptional prodigal that I was, I said, fine, hit the road. I don't need you. That's what prodigals do. But you see, when I got to the end of that rope, and I didn't know if I was going to live through the night or end up in prison the next day, she's the one that I thought about calling, not the other girl that I had been engaged to years before, because all she did was hack on me. Not my parents, for a number of reasons. The person that I called was the one who left the bridge intact for me to go back on when I knew I needed help. Here's a good truth for you. If you're dealing with people in your life who are prodigals and they're running from God, you can be sure that life away from God ultimately leaves them like this kid. Jesus is the one who promises abundant life. Any other life leaves you hungry in the end. So let the choice bear fruit. That's hard for us because we want to fix it. But it's when that choice to walk away from God bears fruit and they come to themselves and they go, this is not working. Make sure that you've left the bridge there for them to come back to life because God might just want to use you to be the one to influence them. Here's the last one, and I'm already out of time, so I'll give it quickly. You got to meet them where they are but don't ever leave them there. Meet them where they are, but don't ever leave them there. 
The dad meets them where they are. The first son, he lets go. The second son, <laughs> now see, I would have had more trouble with the second son than the first one, I think. I think that second boy, I might have just taken him out there and said, you just, what, go talk to your mother. <laughs> I've had some of those kind of conversations with my boys through the years where I went into it knowing somebody's going to die here. Or we're going to get it right. You love enough to go to them and meet them where they are. Hear me carefully. If you try to bring them up and make them meet you where you are, you're missing the point. They're where they are because they've rejected where you are already. So you get to their level and you talk to them and you pull them. Actually, talking is not really the right word here. Let me give you the word that the whole parable turns on this one word. Verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. This is that divine word. Every time it comes up in the Gospels, you know me by now. I stop and we talk about it, all right? It's the word collectively in Greek that refers to your whole guts. It is such a powerful emotional response to what is seen or what is experienced that it just moves you from the inside out. And in every case, by the way, it's always in the New Testament either used by Jesus in a story like this or the Good Samaritan or it's used about Jesus. And in every circumstance, every time it's used, Jesus says action follows that feeling. And so in this case, the father sees his son afar off. He didn't know why he's coming back. He might be coming back to burn the place down to get more. But the father is so moved by what he sees that it says he ran to him. Here's a little bit of Jewish context for you in that. First century Jewish life, a grown man who was a patriarch of the family would never be seen running in public. And so the picture here is this dad is so moved at the sight of his son coming home that he drops all social grace and he sprints to his boy. Of course we'll throw a party for you. So the question comes home, as it always seems to, how do you see people? Those people who are prodigal in your life, and most of the time prodigals burn us. Do you still have compassion for them? Maybe you are the prodigal, and you wandered in here, and this is about as uncomfortable as you've been in a long time. Let me tell you something. This story that Jesus told. The Father represents for us God's love. Well, I should give you the thing that ties it all together before we close here. Why did Jesus tell this parable in the first place? Remember how I started off? We find prodigals in the most unexpected places, especially church. Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2 gives us the background for this parable. And now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes, that's church people, The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus tells a parable that essentially says to all of those religious church people, Y'all are the parables uh, of the prodigal sons. I'm just doing God's work because I'm moved by compassion on these people who have been gone and are coming home. Let's pray. 
And so, Father, we ask you to take this message and complete it in our hearts. For those of us who are here today, and we know that even, even in a small part of our lives, we're running from you rather than running to you. We pray that your spirit would just breathe into that situation and help us to see just how hopeless that will leave us in the end. Help us to hear the voice of you, our Father, who calls us to life abundant. Help us to have a compassion for those people who are around us who are sprinting away from the good news of Jesus Christ. Be real for us and in us so that we might be effective in reaching prodigal people in Jesus' name.